Well, as we get started this morning, we want to just take a moment to remember and celebrate uh, the opportunity we had at the end of the summer to be together with all of our campuses in one place at one time, um, to worship together, to grow together. If you were at the stadium service, um, you know what a blessing that was. And for us as a staff at Chapel Street, I can say unequivocally, like we, we needed that, like we needed that time together to be as one congregation. So this morning, we just want to share a video celebrating uh, that time that we had together. Uh, check this out. Becky, I saw that last night, and I started to cry when, when uh, oh, it's an awesome day and uh, an awesome moment, and so glad to be able to share that with, with all of you, uh, and God is good, and we continue to see him working in our church and in our community in really powerful ways. We're so grateful that you are a part of that, that you're a part of this community. Um, I want you to think about a moment or a time or a season in your life where whatever you had in front of you you felt drastically under-resourced to be able to accomplish that. Could be a, like an academics, um, like a, a test. You just feel like, I am going to bomb this. It, it could be in work, um, some demand that's being placed on you, and you don't have what it takes. Could just be in life in general. One time, Sherry and I, when we were engaged, her parents live in Bartlett, and so when we were Moody students on the weekends, a lot of time we were... Uh, come out and, and hang out with her family over the weekend, and we worked, we volunteered at a church out in um, Schaumburg at the time, and so we were uh, doing youth ministry out there. We were making our way back into the city on Sunday night, and traffic just hit like a complete, like, stop, like, going nowhere, and so it was 
whatever it is, four or five lanes there on I-90, it was going down to four and then to three and two and eventually the one lane, all the traffic being channeled into one lane. And I, I, it seemed like forever, it was probably an hour or more. And by the time you got to the source of the stop, you realized they were doing work on one of the uh, overpasses. And I'm sure that this was just like what, what we saw when we got there, this wasn't the whole thing, but when we got up to the place where the work was happening, there was one guy on a scissor lift painting the uh, steel I-beams of the overpass with a paintbrush. <laughs> like, it was one guy, like, you're like, literally, like, could this, and it looked like a small paintbrush at that. I'm sure, like, this was like a touch-up or something like that. But you look at that situation and you think this person is drastically under-equipped for what he's trying to accomplish. Do you ever feel like that here? You ever feel like that in the church? Do you ever feel like the work of loving each other well, doing life together, walking through the highs and the lows together, like we're under-resourced? Do you ever feel like that when we got to go love our neighbors, be in the community, represent the, the kingdom all around us, when you start adding it up, right, it, it gets pretty overwhelming. And there can be moments when you see everything that's unfolding and maybe you feel pulled in a, a bunch of different directions and you're wondering, where do I go and what do I give and how do I do this? And so when you find yourself in that place, if you're anything like me, oftentimes, you can, one, you can become discouraged or maybe you get uh, a little bit disillusioned about what is you're supposed to be doing. Or I think perhaps more detrimentally, we just disengage. It was this idea of like, well, what, what, what's it going to matter anyways when it's all said and done? Today, the, the passage that we're looking at in, in Mark's gospel, it's, it's teaching us what I want to talk about as, as a kingdom distinctives. Like, what is the uniqueness about this kingdom that Jesus is instituting? And one of the things that we're going to discover about who he is as our king and about the kingdom that he has ushered in is this principle or this distinctiveness of kingdom multiplication. But before we dive into that, I want to I just do two quick reminders, do two things. First, I want to I come back and talk a little bit about what do we mean when we talk about the kingdom of God? Mark's gospel is teeing this up all the time, and sometimes I think we can just use that phrase without reminding ourselves what we mean by that. So when we talk about this idea of the kingdom of God, we talk about his kingdom in God's design or his way of doing things, his way of operating, and his blessing of the world as it's experienced when we live under his rule and reign as our king. And so in addition to that, when, when you and I, when we are submitting our lives to Jesus as our king, Scripture says, then we become agents of his kingdom work. And so last week, when we were looking at this, we saw what Jesus was doing. You remember, he was, he was out on the other side of the Sea of Galilee in this Gentile area. There's a man possessed by demons, and Jesus heals him, and he frees him, and then he goes back he crosses over the Sea of Galilee, and, and his reputation is, is everywhere. People are abuzz, and this woman who's had internal bleeding for 12 years has given up everything in an effort to, to receive healing, just out of desperation, works herself through the crowd, reaches out, touches Jesus' garment, and she's healed. 
Jesus actually brings her out, identifies her, and, and lifts her up for the example of faith that she is. Then there's Jairus, whose daughter is dying. He would do anything. And Jesus shows up on the scene. He's probably frustrated because he's dealing with this other incident, this other person, right? And he gets the news that his daughter's dead. And Jesus says, she's not dead. Take me to your house. She's sleeping. Everybody laughs, right? And Jesus goes in and he speaks life into his 12-year-old daughter. And she's restored. And he, she gets up and they, he says, why don't you give her something to eat? You know, Jesus is very practical on one hand. Like he's undoing. So all these implications that we see working out the brokenness, the pain in the world. Ever since Genesis chapter 3, ever since sin enters the picture, Jesus shows up on the scene. He's saying, I am working to undo this. The problem for you and I is that we still live in this world. So the kingdom of God exists within the kingdom of this world. These things are in conflict with each other. So we still experience the pain and the brokenness. We, we still see the reality of suffering in, in this world. In addition to that, we exist in what Paul calls the flesh. So we still have our, our humanness that wants to operate in the kingdom of this world. It doesn't want to surrender all the way to Jesus. So sometimes we find this fight. So Jesus is teaching us as his disciples what it means to, to look at the world and to see it in the way that he sees it. To see people from a kingdom of God perspective. And, and all along we've talked about this and it's counterintuitive and it's counterculture, but this is what Jesus is teaching his disciples. This is, by the way, why we gather. This is, this is why we open up God's word together to remind ourselves of his kingdom vision and to worship our king. The second thing I want to do before we get into this text is I just want to set the scene a little bit here. Two things have happened early on in, in Mark chapter 6. The first is that Jesus has been training up these disciples of his for some time, and now he is sending them out to do the work that he's been doing. So they go out into the community. They're proclaiming the gospel. They go out in in pairs, and they're teaching people the message that Jesus has taught. They're restoring the broken and the hurting. In verse 13 of chapter 6, it says that they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick, and he healed them. So that sounds familiar because this is what Jesus has been doing all the time. But he also prepared his disciples on how to respond when they face rejection. Because he knows that not everybody who hears this message and, and is, is being told about the kingdom of God is going to receive it and be receptive to it. Additionally, later in Mark chapter 6, we've discovered that Jesus and his disciples find out that um, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, uh, the, his partner in ministry, the, the person who baptized Jesus, was executed in this drunken, sex-filled birthday party for Herod. It's actually, when you read this, it's, it's, it's painful, but it's a stark contrast between the kingdom of this world and, and the kingdom that Jesus is, is ushering in, how they operate. But Jesus and his disciples are grieving. They're mourning. 
the disciples were also reasonably concerned. If you remember Herod, when, when he is hearing about Jesus, he's gotten word about it. His thought at the time is like, is this just John the Baptist raised from the dead? So the person that Herod has just been willing to execute, he now says, well, maybe that's the same threat over here with Jesus and his disciples. And so Jesus, uh, he gathers his disciples together and he says, let's, let's withdraw to a lonely place. He, he wants to take them away to be together. Take them to the wilderness to rest, to grieve, to care for these apprentices of his. But that's not exactly how things unfold. Let's turn to Mark chapter 6. If you have your journals with you, we are on, the page, on page 38, about halfway down the page. This is, what, this is what Mark records. It says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. So they've been so busy that just getting a meal has, has been difficult up to this point. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when they went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, so the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And he said to them, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing and he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they, were all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. That is an extraordinary story. It's almost like you just kind of like try to imagine this happening. Like I was a youth pastor for almost 20 years. I fed a lot of pizza to a lot of people. But, but the logistics of this, it's just, it's overwhelming, right? You, you walk into the sense of like, how is this even possible? And what I want to do is I want to just kind of unpack these, what I'm calling these kingdom distinctives in this passage. And the first kingdom distinctive I want us to look at is a kingdom response. A kingdom response. You, you I'm sure, can think of a time when you have just gone through a lot, been doing a lot, whatever, you're just running on empty. You have nothing left to give. You know that feeling? When I was a youth pastor and I would take students on, on um, weekend retreats, high school, middle school students, it's amazing. God would do so much incredible work and, and the kids loved it, community was built, but you would come home exhausted. 
like just ready to go. And I remember this one time in particular, and there was this, this one of the kids that was there that was like, I always ended up needing to drive him home. Like he never planned. It was, it was just, you know, and, and it was sort of just one of those like um, extra grace required kind of people. And we're unpacking, and parents are getting stuff. There's, everybody's left things. I'm trying to put a lost and found together, and I just want to go home and see my family. And then I could tell, like, he was kind of looking for me. So I started doing, like, evasive action, you know, like, if I can just schedule around this. And eventually, like, I turned the corner, and he's there, and he's just, like, sterling, can we talk? I'm like, no, no, we can't talk. Like, I just want to go home, Right. Like, you're in this moment, and I did. I sat down with him, and we talked. And, and, but in this moment, you, you know what you'd be feeling, right? Keep on sailing, Jesus. Like, I know another place, just down the road. If we keep going down the boat, or let's just stay here on the boat. Do we, we need a time to just disengage and be together. Or let's sail back across the Sea of Galilee to that Gersene's place. There's this quiet little graveyard there. The demon-possessed man, he's gone. And the, the pig farm that was nearby, they're gone. Like, we can get some time together. But, but that's not what Jesus does. It would have been a totally justified response. But Jesus sees something different. He looks at the crowds out there, and he sees sheep without a shepherd. And it says that he had compassion on them. So we think about this kingdom response. Take note of both the diagnosis and the response. The condition of the people is that they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're lost. They're helpless. They're without guidance. They're malnourished and they're unprotected. They're completely vulnerable. And Jesus sees it. He sees their state accurately, their true condition, and he's moved with compassion for them. R.C. Sproul in his commentary on the book of Mark points out that this Greek term here that's translated as moved with compassion or had compassion this this word is only ever used of jesus in the new testament this is more than than feeling sorry for it's more than a generalized sense of pity it's it's a deep inward actually the word carries like this sense of like from the gut like from inside of you sense of of compassion that actually moves towards suffering it goes towards it and it's uniquely christ-like you see he can't sail by so he stops and his answer in the midst of their need is is he began to teach them many things he began to proclaim to them the truth of his gospel he began to unfold god's word to them this is, this is how he fed these lost sheep. He began to shepherd the loss, abandoned sheep. And in addition to that, not only is what he's doing for the crowd here significant, but Jesus is gathering, as he always is, his disciples to understand their part in this work. So when we talk about discipleship, the, the the idea that we have that's most akin to that, kind of in our culture, would be the idea of apprenticeship, of going alongside someone who is seasoned and who is an expert in their field and being taught how to do something. So I always think of like my grandpa Dininger, who's my mom's dad, teaching me how to be a, a woodworker. 
like standing over my shoulder, holding my hand or, or putting my grip on the saw, how to leverage my weight to hold the board, all of those sort of things, carefully watching and increasingly giving me more and more of the responsibility. See, this is what Jesus does. And so important is what he's doing for the crowds here is what he's doing for the disciples, his apprentices. Jesus is teaching them to see what he sees and to respond how he responds. Not only means that, that he moves towards the crowd in compassion, but he takes his disciples with him. This is, by the way, the very same thing that he does for us. This is what it means for you and I when we talk about being a follower of Jesus. Right? It's not about being in church every Sunday, although I very much appreciate that, and please continue to come back. It's not even about how much you give, although that is a, a, an act of obedience, and it's a, it's a partnership in kingdom work. It's important. Generosity matters. It's not about how many small groups you're in. These are all wonderful things. But we talk about the life of a disciple. We're talking about a surrendered life of apprenticeship to Jesus. That's what it means for us to be followers of Jesus. It's learning to see what Jesus sees and to move, to respond with compassion in the way that Jesus has taught us to. Peter, in, in, uh, when we studied 1 Peter together, remember that this is the work that he left to leaders in the church. This is from 1 Peter chapter 5. He simply says it. He says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing as God wants you to be. This is the work that he's given to us to continue. This is what it looks like to be an apprentice of Jesus. There's probably some people in your life that you think of, and this is easy. It's easy to move towards them in compassion. I would imagine there's other people in your life that's difficult. But when you encounter that person, when you think about that person, ask yourself, what does Jesus see when they see them? Where is the brokenness or the hurt or the pain or the suffering? And how do I move towards that in compassion? That's the kingdom response. And then we move on and there's a kingdom call. This is the second distinctive here. Is there uh, this kingdom call? Is there anybody here that makes you, you, your job is as a consultant? Anyone? Okay, good. Um, because that job seems like, that seems like a great gig if you can get it. Because my experience with consultants, and maybe yours is different, I don't, I'm not an expert in this field at all, but it's like sometimes when consultants come and they help kind of deal with different issues in, in the church and wherever, they come in and they'll look at the situation and they can identify the problem even, maybe recommend solutions. If they sell a certain product, oftentimes that ends up being the solution that they recommend, right? And then they go home. And the, and the work stays with the employee. So if you're an employee and you see the problem and you come to your boss and you say, hey, I see this problem. I even got an idea for, for how we might fix it. What, what happens? They say, you go do it. Awesome. I think you're right. Like, I need you to work an extra 20 hours every week and get this figured out, right? See, we're, we're not consultants. The church isn't consultants. We're employees. Back in verse 35, look at this. It says, and when it grew late, 
his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate plate. The hour is late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and to buy food for themselves and get themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and, and give it to them? What, like, what do you mean you give them something to eat? Like, the disciples see the problem here. Like, this is progress. They're looking at the situation. They're, they're seeing the people. They're seeing a need. And they're saying, okay, we've got, we've got a solution. Uh, things are getting late. People are getting hungry. Let's wrap things up here. And they can go off into the countryside. Everybody that owns a, a little bread factory, I don't know, what, a bakery, they're about to make like their year's worth, right? And, and so they're saying like, we, we, we see the problem, we've got a solution, but Jesus has a different directive. He says, you give them something to, to eat. Again, have you been in a situation, have you seen a place where the ask exceeds your means? And the disciples do what any of us would do. They begin to assess the costs. They, they say, well, it's going to cost 200 denarii, which is about eight, eight months' salary for a day laborer in that culture. Like, do we have eight months' salary laying around that we could go do this? They begin to see all the problems, all the reasons it wouldn't work, not to mention the logistics. It says there's 5,000 men, which probably means that there's somewhere between 10 and 15,000 people on site here in this moment. But of course, for Jesus, this is, this is intentional. He's brought them to a place where they're starting to see what he sees, at least in part. And Jesus now is including them in the work of meeting that need. With full awareness, fully knowing that it's outside of their ability. The need and, and therefore the work is greater than their means. And I want us to just sit in this for a minute. Whether this is a, a very personal sort of specific circumstances for you, whether you have some neighbor or friend or coworker that you've started to have conversations with about Jesus and the gospel and you feel un, under-equipped and unqualified and you just kind of want to run away from it and and say, so, you know what, let me, let me, uh, I, my, my friend, Pastor Sterling, he would love to talk to you about these things. Or maybe it's gigantic, systemic. Maybe it's a global issue of need or justice or care, but you see it. You look around you and you see it. And the work is greater than your ability. But the call remains. You feed them. You give them something to eat. You respond. This isn't someone else's problem to solve. So Jesus leads them to the place. He makes them aware of their need. And he says, you feed them. And if this feels overwhelming, it's because it is. But what unfolds next is important. The, di the disciples recognize that they don't have what they need in and of themselves. So their approach to Jesus is, how? How can we do what you're asking? 
This is beyond our ability. And Jesus says, bring me what you have. Bring me what you have. And this is the, the third kingdom distinctive this morning. And that's the, king, that's the principle of, of kingdom multiplication. Kingdom multiplication. In verse 38 now, he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they had found out, they said, five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down in groups of green grass. And they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of fish. And all those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Jesus takes what they have. Everything that they could scrounge together, right? It's like a, a college student trying to buy a meal. At least that's what it was like for a college student when I was trying to buy a meal. It's like I literally paid for full meals and coins. It's embarrassing. You, you bring everything that you have, everything that you can scrounge together. 5,000 people. Five loaves and two fish. That's all the food that anybody brought with them on that day. Like you kind of wonder, is somebody holding back out there? Did somebody like stuff a loaf of bread and... But they bring it to Jesus. They bring what they have, what they have available to feed thousands of people. And Jesus says, give it to me. He takes all that they could pull together and it says, and he blesses it. Verse 42. And they ate and were satisfied. Again, Mark continues to answer the question, who is Jesus? He continues to come back to this consistently over and over again. And now Jesus is revealed as the bread of life. Jesus is revealed. He is the one who is our satisfaction. He is enough. In fact, in, in this story, we discover that he is more than enough. And what's amazing is not only that, that he feeds the 5,000, but in his kingdom, where Jesus is, is teaching us to see the world as he sees it. To respond in, in the way that he responds with compassion that moves towards the pain. And he calls us as his apprentices to answer the call. He says to you, I, I want you to feed them. To feed hungry people. And when we lack what it takes... When you and I don't have the means to accomplish it, when our resources are limited, when we aren't enough, Jesus says, bring me what you have. Trust me with it. Because I am enough. See, there's two things today that I am certain about, about you. I am 100% certain and convinced that God is calling you to do his kingdom work in our broken world. I don't have a single doubt in my mind. Many of you, some of you maybe, even as I talk about this, you, you have some sense of what, what that call might look like for you. 
what he's asking you to respond to, where he has broken your heart and moved you with compassion. Secondly, what I, tr- I know is true about you is that you don't have what it takes to accomplish it. It's bigger than you are. And Jesus says, bring me what you have. Trust me with it. Because I am enough. He is, as Paul writes, the one who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. I was thinking of, of ways and we experienced this and Pastor Jeff had reached out to Erin Wise and, and um, she was telling a story about just something that happened recently at our Shepherd's Heart food pantry. And um, one of the things they've started to do that's really amazing and, and um, is on Monday and Thursday nights when people come to um, use the food pantries, they started to prepare dinners. And so they're just building community together, people eating together, doing life together. And the issue, the challenge is that you really never know how many people to expect. So they kind of have a, a, a number that they prepare for and different Chapel Street families will prepare meals and they say, why don't you aim for about 30 people or so? And so this family uh, prepares a beautiful meal. And they have it all there. And as people start to show up, you can tell that this is not going to be nearly enough food. So like you do what any of us would start to do in that moment. You start to like calculate, like tell your volunteers like, hey, don't eat tonight or like whatever you got to do. And they just begin to kind of pray. And as they do so, this this car pulls up and, and pops up in the trunk and they see the food spread out and it, they're like, ah, oh. they're like, I got the date wrong. I thought we were supposed to bring food tonight, but it's next week. I'm so sorry. I have, I have an extra meal here for, for 30 more people. I don't know, like, can we use it tonight, you know? And Aaron just sort of starts to laugh to herself. And this is like one small microcosm of kingdom multiplication. God understanding the need and saying, I know you don't have it. I know you don't have enough. I know that you aren't enough in and of yourself. Bring it to me. Trust me with it. I am enough. Let's pray together. Father, we do just thank you again for this work that you continue to unfold. And God, we recognize, we acknowledge in full awareness that we do not have in and of ourselves the ability, the resources, the means to do the work that you have called us to do. But you are enough. And so, Lord, I pray that we would learn to see what you see, that we would move towards pain and brokenness and hurt out of compassion because that's what you did for us. And, Lord, that we would bring you what we have and that we would lay it in front of you, our time and our gifts and our resources, all of it, and say, here's... Here's what we got. And that you would multiply it for your kingdom purposes to do your kingdom work. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.